0: Hello everyone, this is episode 91 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. With me today is Nathan Fox. Oh, by the way, I'm Ben Olson. Nathan, you said you're at your family's house?
1: I am at my mom and dad's place in beautiful Ripon, California, which is in the Central Valley, south of Sacramento, in the land where Trump Trump voters come from. Okay, it's actually called Ripon? Ripon, R-I-P-O-N. You might see Ripon as you most people would experience Ripon when they're on their way from San Francisco to Yosemite and they're just hauling ass past on 120, Highway 120 that goes to Yosemite and you may or may not see a sign for Ripon, but you probably wouldn't <laughs> stop here. You'd probably just blink and blast right past it at 70 miles an hour.
0: Okay, yeah, and Yosemite, where is that? Is that like, isn't that Wyoming or something? Or is that
1: in my toilet? Totally You're thinking of Yellowstone, seem, dude. Yosemite's oh, okay. in California. Yosemite is, uh, yeah, just up, it's south of Lake Tahoe, and it's okay. uh, up in the Sierra Nevadas. Great. Highly recommended, by the way, if you haven't ever been to Yosemite. Yosemite is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I think I have, which makes my confusion even more
1: perplexing. But. Yeah, Yellowstones. <laughs> all this. Yellowstone's in Wyoming. Okay, yeah. cool. Let me, uh, well, good. sorry, let me interrupt for a second. I, I just have to apologize to the listeners. I'm on the road this week and I don't have my uh, professional grade recording equipment with me. So if I sound funny, that's because uh, I'm on Wi Fi and I'm just using my, my Mac to record here. So, uh, my bad. I'll, I'll be back with a real mic on the next episode. Great. Well,
0: we're glad that uh, we can still talk. I'm glad. I don't know who we are, but I'm glad that we can still talk. (laughs) I'm glad, too. I'm speaking on behalf of our listeners, maybe. So today we have a lot of questions, uh, as usual, from listeners, which is great. If you have questions, you can always email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. We've got to talk about the full test center situation here. Uh, A lot of test centers are full. We want to talk about that. And then we'll probably jump into a logical reasoning question from the June 2007 LSAT. But before we get into that, we do get emails all the time. We've mentioned this before, but from people who are wondering, hey, what class should I take? And just so you know, we do take students as well. We teach our classes, both uh, Nathan in California and I in uh, Washington, D.C., but we also have online classes. And Nathan, I I don't know a whole lot about your online class. I know you can do a free one. To check things out, right?
1: Is yeah. Gonna... Yeah. If you go to foxlsat.com slash free, that'll take you to a registration page for the five-hour free class I offer. That free class basically reviews the entire June 2007 LSAT. And then if you like that format, you can sign up. If if you choose, you can sign up for my full class, which covers like 25 full tests. But it's the exact same format. You know, it's the same format I use in class, which is just we do a lot of timed sections and then we review those sections together. So, um, yeah, if anybody's interested, it's foxlsat.com slash free. And that'll take you to a registration page. You just put in your email address and then you can get uh, five hours worth of free instruction. I mean, you'll either love me or hate me within five minutes. So it's not a five hour investment, but check it out, you know, watch some of those videos. And if you decide that you like it, then yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to sign up for the full, the full on class, which is like that full class is like way more than a, what a live class would be. You know, it's just a, it's like this immense resource it would be, I would think, one of the more thorough ways you can possibly prep would be to do an online program that has uh, much more extensive lessons than what you'd get in a live class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yours sounds like yeah. it's the same way, right? Because yours just keeps growing, and it's hours and hours and hours, right, of instruction. That's right. Yeah,
0: in in some ways, it's a, <laughs> a matter of prioritizing. Uh, you know, like what to to look at. But that's absolutely right. Uh, there's so many videos uh every time we talk about one that just adds to the library so cool great so let's jump into some of these questions this first one says hey nathan do you want to read this one
1: uh sure hey nathan i was oh this is by the way this is like a just kind of a representative example of lots of emails and contacts that i've been getting from students which i'm sure okay. you have too ben i was listening to this most recent episode and you asked for listeners taking the digital pilot to get in touch well, what can I do for you? I can confirm they're giving a scratch paper to use. That was in our confirmation email. Basically, thanks for putting a, a great podcast, Mark. Uh, so thanks, Mark, for writing in. And thanks, everybody else who has responded. Um, I've received, I don't know, uh, people are interested. They're excited about this. Don't you think, Ben? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Cool. So I've got a few, um, of course, not here in California because there aren't any testing centers here in California. <laughs> that are doing this digital pilot. We've got lots of emails from listeners. I've got emails from my online students who are spread across the country and around Mm -hmm. the world. and It seems like we're going to have pretty good coverage of this digital pilot in May.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I feel like someone, I just heard from someone who said they were taking it either in Wisconsin or... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Wisconsin. I, I guess that must be one of the places where it's offered. But yeah, a lot of random places is where I'm hearing. So
1: Yeah, cool. So we should be able to report back with uh, plenty of intelligence about this uh, pilot as soon as it happens. We're already finding out here from Mark that they are going to give scratch paper, which makes sense because I don't see how else you can do the logic games if you don't mm-hmm. have scratch paper.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's probably, uh, hopefully, how things will be going in the near future if they get their act together.
1: I'm thinking uh, people aren't going to be able to do a lot of underlining and highlighting on the reading comprehension, huh?
0: That's right. (laughs) I wonder, though, um, you know, with a tablet, I doubt they'd be this sophisticated, but they might have some way to highlight
1: with your... Highlight with your finger? Yeah. Drag and whatever, yeah. Yeah, seems which like a waste sounds, of time to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds even more fun than just regular hiding. Highlighting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so well, thanks see. to everybody who has written in, and I guess we could give out that URL again, except for we don't remember it because it's so complicated.
0: Oh, we, we talked about it so much. I think I have got it in Let's my hear it. my mind. Yeah, it's uh, a org. So digitallsat.lsat.dot. LSAC, L-S-A-C, dot
1: org. Nice. Okay, cool. And that's, again, 20 testing centers across the country. You can sign up uh, to take a free LSAT on their new tablet format that they're testing out. Uh, It's not an official LSAT score, but they will uh, give you a $100 gift certificate.
0: And they will... Give you uh, a brief analysis of your results by telling you what types of questions and so on that you got right and wrong. Uh, But they won't, from what I understand, they won't actually give you a a score at all. So it's not even not an official score. It's no score. It's not even
1: an unofficial score. It's not even a practice, anything. Well, well, whatever. People are doing it to help us anyway. So that's why they're doing it. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks for your help.
0: So th- this this next uh, email has to do with the fact that I have been hearing from a lot of people, you have been hearing from a lot of people, that test centers are full. Uh, yeah. I mean, this isn't totally you know, new. Uh, test centers fill up all the time, but the number of test centers that are full is pretty crazy. Here in the D.C. area, all the test centers are full, and... So people are going and taking it in Philly. They're going very far away. I think that's a mistake.
1: Okay. My hypothesis is that it's a mistake because they seem pretty aggressive about opening up new test centers. It depends who you talk to at the LSAC. We have, I think we have other emails that are about this same topic uh, later. I've had people call and say, hey, you know, I want to take it in Las Vegas but all the testing centers are full in Vegas. What do I do? And the LSAC rep actually told somebody, oh yeah, just sign up for the waitlist on Vegas because we're going to definitely open up a new testing center. Okay. So then they did that and then sure enough, they get a new testing center and now they're automatically enrolled into the one in Vegas. Yeah. Which is where they wanted to be. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then it would be silly to sign up for, you know, somewhere else like 100 miles away. Cuz once you do that, then you you would have to pay an extra fee, right, to switch back to Vegas if they opened up a Vegas?
0: Yeah, yeah, you would. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that it just I don't know. I mean, it's unfortunate the way these folks operate, <laughs> but that's just I don't know. It's part of the game, I guess. I mean, I guess it depends on how convenient it is to
0: get to Philly. Sometimes um I mean, Philly may not be the best example, but sometimes I know that people go home to take the test, you know, wherever they might live. And I think at least the nice thing for people in D.C. when they do that is that they usually go to a test center that's pretty sparse. There's not that many people there, whereas here there's a ton of people. So it takes a good hour, sometimes an hour and a half, before you can actually start the test. So I think there can be some upsides to going to some backwater place to – take the test and know where you're going and yeah. whatever.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that could be fine. Yeah. If you, if you do have a comfortable place to take it, I, I'm just thinking if you're, if you're just, Oh, I'm picking the very, the next closest geographical thing and it's a hundred miles away and I don't know anybody there and I don't know how to make, get around there. And you know, that just seems like adding stress to your. Sure. Constant advice is to call the LSAC, right? it's, <laughs> I'm always telling people to call, get on the phone actually and just call the LSAC cuz their websites are really a hassle and it, it can be hard to figure out what they're doing. But I have had some good results with people calling and saying, "Hey, you know, I really wanted to take the test in this one place and then getting the information that they're, "Oh yeah, we are opening up another one."
0: I have a funny story just from last night actually in class about people calling uh, LSAC the um Georgetown was the only test center that was being offered in DC for the June LSAT. So there was a lot of test centers in Virginia and Maryland, just outside of DC. But Georgetown was the only one that was offered in DC. And for anyone who signed up early, uh, they signed up for Georgetown because, hey, that was the only place to go and it was close. So they signed up for it. And then people started signing up for Georgetown, or they started signing up for the test and they wanted to find a place And they said, hey, I can't find any place in D.C. And Georgetown wasn't even listed. So usually what happens, at least from what I understand, is that when a test center fills up, it will show up in your search results, but it will show that it's unavailable.
1: Okay.
0: And people were searching for test centers in D.C. And Georgetown wasn't even showing up, yet other people had registered for Georgetown. So, you know, I heard this and I just figured it was sort of like a glitch in the system or whatever, I don't have a whole lot of faith in their website, as you were just right. saying. And so it was like, okay, whatever. I mean, those people signed up for Georgetown, so they signed up for Georgetown. But a lot of people had been talking about this, going back and forth about it. And uh, so people started calling LSAC and saying, hey, what's going on? I don't even see Georgetown as an option, yet I'm signed up for Georgetown. Is it still going to happen? And a lot of reps just said, hey, look, you've got your thing all registered here. You're fine. Basically, stop panicking and get out of here but they're like well this is kind of weird and can you look into it and because so many different people called i mean there's people in the class there's friends of the people in the class who are signed up for georgetown they're calling and you get all these different stories and some reps have been starting to say wait a sec oh yeah there is a problem here it doesn't look like georgetown is being even offered as a test center and so one student last night said that she was talking to this rep and the rep Finally came around and said, look, you know, I think you're right. There really is a problem here. I don't think you're going to be able to take it at Georgetown even though you're registered there. (laughs) And she's like, okay, well, uh, what should I do? And the rep said, I don't know what you should do. And then she proceeded to say, if you know anyone else who's taking it at Georgetown, please have them call me. (laughs) And my student was like, wait,
1: what? Like, You want to do the word of mouth solution here? Like. (laughs)
0: Why don't you just email everyone who signed up, supposedly, for Georgetown? And it sounds like just yesterday, someone or this morning, someone talked to them again because of our discussion last night in class. And they had made a little progress on this, and they said they aren't going to do it at Georgetown. So it sounds like it is over. And they're going to try to open up a hotel here and get everyone who has signed up for Georgetown into that hotel. So wow. we'll see what happens.
1: But- wow. Wow super organized (laughs) that's amazing yeah no big deal it's just the entire future of all these people who are signed up
0: yeah and you know it's so funny how the lsac has this huge aversion to taking responsibility for any of this like you know apologizing or admitting that they might have made a mistake yeah I wouldn't be surprised if some people who get messed up by this just they just end up saying, well, that's fine. Why don't you just go ahead and take it again in September (laughs) and maybe even, you know, charge them at first and then wave it when they complain.
1: Yeah, that's that's their standard thing. That's all. There's always the next one. Yeah. You can just re-register for that one. No problem.
0: I wonder how many people they have there, actually. How big of an operation is it? I don't know.
1: I sometimes think it's like one guy behind a curtain.
0: I know, I do get that sense. But then, I mean, you have all
1: these different reps. Well, it could just be that one guy doing different voices.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. So this next letter is pretty long. What do you think we should do here?
1: I'll just just do it. Let's just do it. Okay. Hello, gentlemen. And then in square brackets, we get a, a prelude to the whole thing. In square brackets, we get, wow, this letter got out of hand. So if you don't want to read the wall-o text, I don't blame you. Just skip to the TLDR section. I was slash am really tired and can't seem to stop. Square bracket closed. Okay, so that's the introduction. Now we get the wall-o text. It says, I enjoy listening to your podcast, and like others, I tend to listen to it when I'm at work. Just to satisfy your curiosity from episode 84, I work in a law firm. When I'm not tuning into your most recent show... I'm going back and listening to past episodes I missed, as I tend to skip around depending on the topic and how busy I get while working. I'm finally writing you two in order to crystallize some thoughts on the LSAT, the prospect of law school, and maybe get some suggestions from you on a topic that you have likely answered several times in one way or another. Sorry to be a special snowflake, but I'm looking for objectivity, and I can think of no others that can provide it than you guys. Okay, here's the setup, which says you can skip if you want. Alright, I'll skim. I'm in my very late 20s, been fighting with myself on whether or not to attend law school since at least the beginning of high school. I'm trying to approach this matter with eyes wide open. I've read blogs, done due diligence on law school transparency, read all kinds of bitter lawyer stories and news articles related to struggling JD graduates and their Starbucks gigs. I've read about the costs of tuition, various financing calculators, and the abysmal financial aid packages and -and bait-and-switch scholarships, I'm aware that lots of attorneys are notoriously unhappy, burned out, stressed out, and are more prone to substance abuse and suicide than a lot of other white-collar jobs. Okay. I think all true. Uh, You're not lying about any of that. Okay. In spite of all this negativity, I have bravely, or perhaps stupidly, decided that, for all my hemming and hawing and deep skepticism toward law school, I still have this unrelenting desire to take this path. You are more than welcome to call me an idiot at this point. Are you going to call him an idiot, Ben?
0: No, I mean, he seems to have done his research,
1: so yeah.
0: if he, he knows what he's getting into and he still wants to go, then maybe it's the right path for him.
1: Yeah, well, it is the right path for some people. I mean, and it's it's the perfect only path for some people. So the fact that he's he's exposed himself to all of the... The bad stuff, you know, he does seem like his eyes are wide open about this whole thing. So if you go through all that, you know what lawyers do, you know how little they make, you know how much debt they have, you know how much drugs they do and how often they kill themselves, (laughs) then fine, you know, that's good. Like Maybe this is perfect for you. So yeah, no sweat. I currently have a front row seat to the lives of the attorneys in my current firm, which is a smallish firm serving clients in a niche industry. What I have found is that, aside from general disposition and fit with your particular area of law, firm culture is the biggest indicator of whether or not you will like what you do for a living. I can confidently say that of the 13 attorneys in our office, perhaps only one of them seems particularly unhappy with their job. I would say overall, everyone is fairly satisfied here, and they more or less have good work-life balance. Compared to my previous legal work environment, which was a small personal injury firm, the two are worlds apart. Working here has helped solidify my confidence in moving forward with this direction, and while I don't see myself making a career as an attorney here, it definitely impacts how selective I would be in the hypothetical event of my going to law school getting a J.D. What do you think about all that?
0: I think that's uh, pretty insightful. The firm, the people you work with, would seem to be a big factor in how happy you are. Yeah. And if you end up working with a lot of attorneys at a big law firm that uh, got in there for the wrong reasons, then it's no surprise that the negativity abounds, right?
1: Yeah. My thoughts on this paragraph, though, I I was like, oh, so you're going to work at that firm?
0: Yeah, that's what it sounded like it was going to go to, right? And so
1: then I was like, okay, well, then so you're going to go to a law school that'll get you into that firm, right? Like you, you know that you'll be able to work at that firm. With whatever law school you're going to go to, right? And then you mm-hmm. get the oh, but I'm not going to work here, though. Yeah. And so then it's just okay. Well, that begs the question: uh, Where are you going to work?
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. if you've now you've told me there's one firm where you definitely aren't going to work because it sounds horrible. That's that personal injury firm. Yeah. And then, but now you liked this firm. Oh, but not enough to actually work there. Well, okay. Well, then where are you going to work then? Yeah because otherwise we just end up back at that same spot. Yeah. Here are my issues. Currently, I casually studied in 2016 by casual. I mean, look at a study book once every couple months because I didn't have a sense of urgency. And there were other matters preoccupying my time in January, 2017. I resolved to take it more seriously. I would either read for an hour a night for a minimum of four nights a week In the beginning, doing it nearly every night. And once I finally finished my study book, started moving on to practice tests. I mean, that sounds like a waste of time, huh, Ben? Yeah, do those at the same time. Yeah, stop reading so much theory and just dive into some tests. You should really be doing at least 35-minute sections right away from the very beginning of your prep. It's, a, it's such a waste of time to just be reading this study book for weeks on end. Anyway, yeah. I managed to acquire 40 tests some years ago. They're the older ones. And I would try to work through one a week untimed. Okay, stop doing that as well, people. Stop it. I don't care. How, I don't. It's so irritating. It's irritating to me, Ben. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just saying, (laughs) stop doing untimed tests. Why are you doing that? The, The test is timed. You have to be realistic. Most people shouldn't finish the sections. Probably you shouldn't finish the sections. But put a timer on and just go calmly and carefully and focus on getting them right. And when the time's up, you'll see how far you got. But I don't care... I don't know why you're doing untimed practice. It's a waste of time.
0: I think sometimes they might hear our emphasis on accuracy and feel like, okay, well, time isn't an issue, so I should do it untimed. But what you're missing out on is the opportunity to resist being sucked into the whole time vortex, right? Like if you take a timed section and you focus on accuracy and you don't rush, then you're basically training yourself to resist the, the watch or being affected by the watch. And that's something you absolutely have to get good at because when you do start timing yourself, hopefully not on test day, hopefully a lot, to, a lot sooner than that, you're going to freak out about the time. Everyone does.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You need to time yourself so that you can learn to ignore the time. Beginning in February, my method was such. I would set a timer for 35 minutes and work through a section to see how far I would get. At the end of 35 minutes, I drew a line on my bubble sheet between the last question I answered and the question I did not get to to mark my progress, then worked through the rest of the questions. I wasn't working on speed. It was simply more of another way to measure improvement. I would then have my fiancé score the section in another room. Then I would review the questions I got wrong and try to figure out the right answer instead. Okay, yeah.
0: I'd rather that he go back to the questions he wasn't sure about yeah. before his fiance grades it. Because even though I guess she's not telling him what the right answer is,
1: I like how she's correct, you got scoring it, wrong, it in another room. Wait, what? <laughs> she's The fiance is scoring in another room. <laughs> you see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like going into a special soundproof chamber in the other rooms so that you won't hear the screams or something.
0: (laughs) But either way, like once you know that that question is wrong, you know what you chose. Even if you didn't mark your test, you still remember like, Oh, I think I chose D. Yeah. And, and that's like, that is the biggest hurdle right there. Deciding between D and whatever answer you ultimately choose. Yeah. So ideally I would, kind of force yourself to review it before you have your fiancé grade it.
1: Okay. I was doing well on logic games, usually minus zero. Good. Minus three max on reading comp. Good. And minus five to seven combined in both logical reasoning sections. Good. (laughs) While this is fine, I realize this is pretty useless information since this data is still untimed. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's why we yell at you about not doing untimed sections because we don't care because you should presumably be able to get them all right if you have unlimited time well i
0: guess to be fair this isn't totally useless it's actually good news that you're getting this many correct period even though it's untimed because sometimes people do this right they're like oh my issue is time my issue is time and you're like okay fine do it untimed see how it goes and they still get more than this wrong, right? Yeah. And then you're like, well, clearly your issue isn't just time. Yeah, right. So if you need that kick in the butt, then you could either listen to Nathan or just go ahead and do an untimed test and see if you can get them all right. My guess is that you won't, just as yeah. Mr. Gentleman here. Yeah. What's this guy's name? Can we say his name? I don't remember. Oh, Scrooge. Scrooge. Scrooge.
1: Just as Scrooge did. All right, I'm going to skip a little bit here. Unfortunately, near the end of February, things at work became a shit show because of a huge restructuring in our department. Instead of coming home at night and studying like I wanted, I stayed late at work, or worse yet, would remote in from home. This pattern continued well into March, and while I have been wanting to study, I'm either staying late working, working from home, or just decompressing. I've not been able to pick up my studying again, which I find frustrating. There were times when I would try to study, but it's not effective if I'm struggling to stay awake through a single section. I don't know. You want to push back a little bit on that, Ben? I kind of do.
0: I don't know. I was just thinking, well, at least you know what you're getting into yeah, with law.
1: true. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the but, life of a
0: lawyer. I mean, if he's falling asleep, I don't think he should be doing a section. No, I, I totally to agree. agree.
1: To if you're falling asleep, then, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do it. You know, he never mentions here studying in the morning. He never mentions here studying at lunch. I worry that he's he's so concerned about doing full tests or something that he's not giving himself. I mean, all you need is thirty five minutes. Mm-hmm. No matter how busy you are, I feel like thirty five minutes is findable somewhere in your somewhere in your schedule. Yeah, and if it was like, hey, dude, you want to be a lawyer? All right, well, set your alarm forty five minutes earlier. And make time in the morning before you go to work to do a 35-minute section. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, maybe you can review it. Or today at lunch, you can review it. Or whatever. But, I mean, we're talking about less than an hour a day Mm -hmm. in order to make progress. And so I'm just, I'm thinking people are, it's really easy to just, oh, work's so busy. Family's so busy. You know, I don't have time to do a full test, so I'm just not going to do anything at all. And it's like, hmm, you need to do a little bit.
0: No, I mean, that's a good
1: point. I think most people's
0: to-do lists are never-ending. Right. You can always think of more that you could do to make things better. But whatever you put at the top of that list is what's going to happen. And once you create a list, if you have one, hopefully it's short, but if you have one, you got to like focus on that and ignore email, ignore all the sort of distractions that come up and just basically insert themselves into that list and say that they're more important than whatever you've decided to do that day. And usually that's not the case. It's just urgent things feel important, but they're usually not. You know, people call you and they're like, "Oh, we got to do this right now." Maybe if it's your boss, you have to. But a lot of times, people email you and you feel like you need to respond right then. You shouldn't even be re- reading your email until you've done the things that really matter to you.
1: Yeah, and you need to make a priority of this LSAT prep. I mean, it's your whole career that's on the line here. You know, this is your entire future here. It's mm-hmm. more important than your current job. If, if, you're, if you actually are going to go to be a lawyer, then the LSAT is more important than your current job.
0: Yeah, and it would logically follow then that the thinking LSAT is more important than your current job.
1: Yeah, we are more important than your current job. We <laughs> are your boss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll call you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, get fired. Who gives a shit? Well, I, Also, you're not going to get fired. Your boss shouldn't be calling you at 7 a.m. And if you got up a little bit earlier and took your timed section at 7 a.m. before you go to work, where you're not going to get distracted there. You got it. I guess just what we're talking about is making it your priority, like really, like top of the list kind of thing. Yeah, it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's going to impact your entire career. Where you know the kind of school you go to and how much debt you have is just immensely important. Mm -hmm. So your stupid job that you have now, I mean, I don't know why you're letting that interfere. I mean, I get it. You're a good guy and you're a good employee and yeah, you don't want to get fired, but I mean, are you really going to get fired because of (laughs) you took a little time in the morning to do a, a 35 minute section? I kind of doubt it. Anyway, now it's April and I want to get studi- started again, but work is still a mess and I fear I will lack the discipline to study to stay on my study schedule. While I have not yet signed up for any test, I was hoping to gauge my progress with a full practice test this month in order to decide if I want to try for June. Are you getting frustrated, Ben?
0: Putting too much weight on one test.
1: Totally, dude. Totally. And on the
0: score. I, I, I don't know how to get people off of the score.
1: If you, instead of worrying about a full practice test, right? So this is like, it seems like he's putting this off. You know, he doesn't want to take a test today because he doesn't have time. He's too busy. He's too stressed out. He's not ready, but he's going to try to do it later in April or late whenever he's going to Mm -hmm. let it's, he's saying the registration is April 20th. Does that sound right to you?
0: It's not. The 20th, but it's somewhere around there. Okay, yeah. and there's
1: probably late registration two weeks after that. I think it's the 23rd, actually. Is the, 23rd. the regular is registration? The, is there the there?
0: regular registration. The late one is May 3rd. Got it. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so he's waiting to take one test to see if if he wants to sign up for June or not? No, no, dude. That's incorrect. You need to be doing 35-minute sections all the time, like every day or every other day. You do a 35-minute section you keep track of those results and now you'll be working with a much more robust data set to figure out whether you're ready or not and not to mention you won't be procrastinating so much on your study schedule
0: did you mention figuring out the results from your 35 minute sections as well sorry i was looking up the deadlines to make sure i didn't just oh yeah, yeah. mess everyone up
1: well no that's you what i'm saying it the third damn it if you do one section a day for 4 days that to me is a legitimate LSAT score. It's yeah. not it's not like that's dramatically different from what you would score if you took all four sections in a row.
0: Maybe maybe you don't have the endurance yet where it, to go through four sections as well as you would one section, but it's going to be really close. It's, it's super close. It's not going to be much
1: different. Yeah, because you you know you've heard Ben people who think they do poorly every time they do the first section like, "Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. cuz I didn't get I wasn't warmed up yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's a thing, which it's not, but if that's a thing, then that's weighing down on your score. And if you get the added benefit because you don't have to worry about endurance, which also isn't a thing. The point is, four times 35 minutes, if you do a 35 minute section every day, you do a full test over the course of four days, add up that score. That's a data point. Mm-hmm. That is. And. If you did one section every day, you'd be doing almost two tests per week. And so over the course of a month, you'd have six or seven full test scores. And now you could start looking at trends in the data and get a good sense of where you actually are. Yeah. But this waiting for one full practice test is just a bad plan, I think. Yeah. Sorry, Scrooge. I'm really not trying to bust your balls here. I'm just trying to help as much as I can.
0: I just checked the dates. They're April 26th and May 3rd. So.
1: April 26th, regular registration, and then May 3rd, late registration deadline for the yep. June LSAT 2017. Yeah. Okay. But even without a test, I know I'm not ready because my studying has been pretty light in comparison to what other people put in. My suspicion is that September is probably a better choice, and if I actually studied, would be a more than reasonable test date. Mm, yeah i mean that sounds like self-fulfilling prophecy yep i've heard that a million times you know the the problem with that line of thinking is that you're going to be saying the same thing in july you're going to be very likely to be saying the exact same thing like oh well i haven't really been putting in the time work's just been crazy Mm -hmm. Um, i'm going to take a practice test this saturday and see where i'm at but i'm thinking now that probably december is going to be a better choice
0: Yeah. I think the scientific literature or the maybe it's pop, I don't know. But they refer to this idea of a stretch goal. Okay. You've heard this right? Maybe? Sure. This term. The idea is that you want goals that stretch you a little bit. So if you're three weeks away from an LSAT and you haven't done anything or you've only done very little, then maybe that's more than a stretch goal goal. That's ridiculous. But You have April, you have May, you have the first half of June. That's a decent amount of time. So even if it feels like a stretch, that's probably why it's a good goal to shoot for, at least at this point. Shoot for June. Yeah. And even if you decide to withdraw at the last second, you'll be in a lot better position than if you right now shoot for September. Because you'll just be back burner.
1: As we record this, he has two full months. By the time this comes out, he'll have eight weeks, probably. Yeah. You know, and eight, in eight weeks, you can make a lot of progress. That would be enough time for some people. If you really mm-hmm. did it, two months would be And he's be already enough. been
0: studying, so I don't think it's...
1: Yeah, he's been sort of studying. I mean, he's been fucking around and, and wasting a <laughs> lot of time, to be honest. But... Okay, he has been working on it, which is yeah, it's better than what he's been doing. is definitely better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And two months more of like actual commitment could totally get you ready for June. And then yeah, worst case scenario, you withdraw from the June exam, and you are now way better equipped to take it in September. Mm-hmm. I can already hear the rejoinder. Why are you taking so long to study? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just go ahead and do it and get it over with? Well, it goes back to my decision to do this with eyes wide open. For me, it's not worth the financial risk of law school unless I perform well on the LSAT. It's not worth the opportunity cost of lost income over three years with a potential debt accrual of six figures and mediocre chances of landing a job afterwards. Law school for me is only worth it if I have it nearly, if not completely paid for. This means I have to kill the LSAT. What do you think about that, that, that paragraph, Ben? that didn't answer the question that was posed at the beginning of the paragraph. Yeah, (laughs) because you're not, I mean, what we're really upset about here is that he hasn't really been studying properly. He hasn't been studying consistently. He hasn't been doing 35 minute sections. So that's the part that I'm mad about. I mean, you can stretch this out for six months or a year if you want. And I absolutely believe you should get the very best LSAT score you can for all the reasons Scrooge is citing. That's all very good thinking, but none of that is an excuse for like inefficient slash procrastination on the studying.
0: The other thing here too, is I think just by honestly going for the next LSAT, because you have a reasonable amount of time to do that eight weeks, I think it's just going to, I think it's going to be a better experience for you. I think if you shoot for September, you're just going to continue doing what you've been doing, maybe a little bit more because you're starting to talk about it more and think about it more. But in essence, you're not going to make the progress you would have made. We're not saying that, that you should definitely take it in June, but you should plan on it and think that you
1: are until you know that you shouldn't. Yeah. People love to just, I don't know, what is that? It's, it's like almost like masochism, because don't you want to just do this and get it over with and put it behind you? Yeah. Get the best score you can and be done with it. I don't know why you would be like sneaking up on it for, for like you're doing a stealth sneak attack on the LSAT by, by, by sort of studying, but not, I mean, it kind of sounds like you're making yourself miserable by procrastinating and thinking about it so much, but then not actually doing it. I don't know. Yeah. Putting off the inevitable.
0: I don't work in Silicon Valley. But I've heard the idea that if you're not breaking things, you're not moving fast enough.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: And I think that that is applicable here. If you're not getting to the June test and then being like, ah, dang, I need to wait and take it in September. But you had tried. If you're not like coming up against the wall and then being like, well, maybe I should take the next one at the last moment, then you probably weren't moving fast enough right, or trying to. You were dragging it out, and I think there's something to be said about that. If you want to get things done, then you set
1: stretch goals, not super easy, lame goals. Yeah, well, continue on in the wall O text. It says, Ah, you say, that's well and good, but why are you taking so long? (laughs) It's not doing you any favors.
0: (laughs) Do you know what we're going to say to (laughs) everybody? He's
1: been listening to a lot of podcasts, so he knows exactly what we're going to (laughs) say. It may be that extending my study time won't benefit me in the long run, but the reason is stated previously, I'm in no rush. Even if I took the LSAT in June, the earliest I could matriculate, all things going as they should, would be fall of 2019. I can't matriculate until then because my fiancé will not graduate until... Uh, from college until fall 2018 at the earliest, but likely spring 2019. My current role is to keep a roof over our heads by paying the bills until he graduates and finds work. I can't consider quitting mine to go back to school. Okay. So still why not just get the LSAT behind you now? I mean, some people need to take the LSAT three times. Your LSAT score is good for five years. I would say, why wait till the last minute? I mean, why not get it done? Well, here's the thing. Ultimately,
0: the goal is to get the highest score, right? And I think that one way to think about this is that if you don't do enough, then you're not going to see progress fast enough from week to week, and so you're going to lose motivation. Whereas if you go into the gym and you put in a good exercise and you do that once every like two or three days, then you start to see progress and that's motivating and so then you do more and it becomes like this upward cycle of progress. If you just drag it out like you've been dragging it out then you don't see much progress and the whole thing can feel like a lot bigger than it actually is.
1: You're yeah, you're you're definitely making this more stressful than it needs to be by drawing it out forever. So with all that out of the way, do you have any suggestions on how to work on structuring my day and sticking to a consistent study schedule? I'm prone to overworking, so it's a struggle for me to go home when I'm supposed to, leading to the staying late, remoting in, as discussed previously. And before you suggest I study at work, I would rather not because I do not want to freak out my boss or HR, nor do I want busybodies nosing around my stuff and asking what I'm doing. Should I shoot for the September test based on my lengthy explanation? There's a lot of conflicting advice about how long to study for, both in hours and days and months. I realize my time horizon is much longer than most, so I do not expect myself to study for multiple hours every night for the next four months. But I can't help but wonder if my shorter study sessions will be effective enough to achieve my goals in that same time frame. I defer to your wisdom on this.
0: Well, I think this is what we were just talking about. We're not saying that you need to study
1: hours. I'm never saying you should study hours per day. I I really don't believe in studying hours per day. I think you need to study for one hour per day. 35
0: minutes for the section, 25 to review it. If you're getting a lot wrong, then maybe you need more time. But then you just pick it up the next day,
1: wherever you left off. If you're getting a lot wrong, then you're not doing it right either. You you shouldn't be missing very many questions on the ones you attempt. During that 35 minutes, your goal is, I'm going to get these right. I'm going to get them all right. So then when you review, there should only be a couple that you missed because you essentially figured them out during the 35 minutes. But yeah, okay, you made a couple mistakes. Then you spend that 25 minutes making sure that you understand your mistakes, understand the ones that maybe, you know, there were some that you, you feel like you guessed right on. You could review those ones as well review the questions you weren't sure about, review the questions you missed and wrap it up. And that's good. And it's one hour. I don't need four hours today. I need an hour a day for the next four days.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking about people who say maybe do 14 questions in 35 minutes. They have another 10 questions to go when they're done with
1: that. In that exact situation, if you're only getting to 14 questions, then I don't really need you to do question number twenty four ever. Like I wait till you're getting I mean, I see what you're saying, Ben, like hey, those are te- those are legit test questions. They're real. You know, why why waste them by not doing them at all? Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. follow that. but i'm I'm also thinking that that might be beyond your current level. If I'm thinking about the student who literally is only doing fourteen questions and missing three of them, you know, your foundation might be shaky enough that like doing number 24 is going to just blow your mind anyway, like waste a lot of time. Yeah. It depends on who you are. depends on how much time you have, but I'm, I'm actually fine with people not doing the ones they, they don't get to like, again, and this is more advice for like the 135 score or the 140 scorer. Yeah. Cause it, cause that student probably is scoring 140, 145, right? If they're only doing 14 questions. Mm hmm. Unless they're getting them all right. If they're getting them all right, then good. But if you're doing 14 and missing three or four of them, uh, that that question 24 is like the differentiator between a 155 and or a 165 and a 166. You know, it's not the differentiator between your current 145 and your 146. Mm -hmm. So I just don't want you to be doing questions that are presumably out of your level anyway.
0: Well, I agree with you, especially for people who are in the 130s, 140s. I think once you start getting to the 150s...
1: Then you should be able to understand every question. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, you don't get to them in the time, that's fine. So maybe the next day you look at them. But I think they can be valuable because they're so hard, and you have to, like, kind of rack your brain. It'll make the easier ones easier as you start to understand them. But like you said, if you you can't even get your mind wrapped around them, then, no, that's just going to make things worse.
1: You want, like, just-right challenges, right? You want stuff that you can actually be successful on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like logic games, I I pretty steadily give the advice that if you're in single digits in the logic games, you know, I I don't really need you doing game three and game four all that often. There's certain games that are just going to be so hard for you. If you haven't really been able to unlock the super easy ones, then I feel like the the harder ones, the hardest ones, all they're going to do is frustrate you. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, back to Scrooge, our advice for Scrooge, I I think, yes, shorter study sessions will be effective. And in fact, that's all Ben and I ever really recommend is just shorter study sessions. So I think you're, you're procrastinating, giving yourself an excuse by, by saying, Oh, well, I don't have four hours today, so I'm going to do none. And you need to be giving us your hour a day. Also, Seems like, you know, shooting for that June test would give you some motivation. If not, for sure, be shooting for that September test. I mean, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have September be planning on taking it in in September for sure, right? Yeah. Take it in September, December as a backup and just be done with it. Mm -hmm. Like we we like having you as a listener, you know, but (laughs) it just seems miserable to study for the LSAT for three years if you don't need to. I agree, is that it for that for Scrooge? I think so, okay. yeah,
0: let's go let's go to uh Anthony, Anthony has a question about your interview with Chantal, Yes. I was not on that episode, no, so you actually, and I never had a chance to listen to it, so I'll let you take this one,
1: yeah, so Anthony writes in and just wants a clarification. Listening to the episode from March 6th with Chantal in which you guys discussed the public service loan forgiveness program, she was discussing how the debt that gets discharged at the end of 10 years or 120 payments counts as taxable income. Uh, I just wanted to point out that for particularly the uh, public service loan forgiveness program, the PSLF, that discharged debt is actually exempt from income taxes. So Chantal was warning about how a lot of these loan, per- loan forgiveness programs end up giving you this giant tax bill at the end when the loan gets forgiven. But Anthony's pointing out that currently, for the uh, PSLF, that that actually is exempt from uh, federal income tax. Okay. I sent it to Chantal, and she responded at length. She said, yes, I believe I mentioned that the program is tax-exempt, but that only applies to people working in public interest, Also, I said I was unsure what the future of that would be. Uh, She says, my intuition was correct since the Department of Education is giving those that officially qualify for discharge under that program the complete runaround. They've been sending people letters revoking their status right before they qualify for discharge. Very nice of them. She provides a link to a piece by NPR. She provides a link to a piece in the New York Times. She says, I expect students who are eligible for discharge after 10 years to be denied this discharge. This whole situation is a massive mess, and if students aren't allowed to discharge their debts after working in public interest, I wouldn't be surprised if we see lawsuits. For everyone else that discharges under the standard repayment program, which is between 20 to 30 years, depending on your repayment plan, the forgiveness is taxable income. No question about that. Hope I answered your question. Thanks, Chantal. So yeah, thanks again, Chantal, for participating in this conversation, being on the show and responding to Anthony's email. We'll post those links in the show notes. It does seem like it's a big mess. I know people who, you know, just to be clear, to work, to qualify for that public interest loan forgiveness, you you have to work steadily in the public interest with all sorts of other restrictions like how much money you can make while you're doing it it could be a massive disaster if you all of a sudden don't qualify for that program anymore you know and yeah. and many people shift gears too I, one thing I, young people don't recognize how much they're going to change over the next 5 or 10 years of their lives and yeah. like i get it that you're a you're a social justice warrior right now and you know you're going to go whatever you're going to do save the somebody and i believe you today But 10 years from now, you may or may not still be on that same path. You know, (laughs) if you are on that path, that's great. And you'll end up getting your loan forgiven and it won't be taxable. But if you're not on that path anymore, or if they tell you that you're not on that path anymore, I mean, like they change the definition of public interest, right? Or they, who knows, they get rid of the program altogether. So there is this other loan forgiveness program where you get your debt forgiven after 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. but then that one for sure also is taxable. When you get that big forgiveness, that is a taxable event. Yeah. It sounds like a disaster. You shouldn't be planning on loan forgiveness. I don't think that just seems like a bad plan. (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah. I, I just don't plan on anything from the government. Honestly, I think, you know, you should go to law school if you can pay for it yourself or if someone else is paying for it, or if you get a scholarship, or if you sh- you have a way that you're gonna be able to pay it back because of like you're gonna go work in big law and make a shit ton of money. Otherwise, like one of the best ways you could save the world is by not getting yourself two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Um <coughs> It's harder to save the world when you're two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Next one?
0: Yeah, the next one, uh this listener asks us not to use is yep. or her name? Yeah. And I see LOL here, so let's call him LOL. Oh, yeah. It's LOL from Beijing. Perfect, yeah. I love listening to your program. It's a really good show, even not for LSAT. Oh, okay. It's funny, and I like your way of talking. Cool. Okay. Talk about myself. I'm <laughs> 34 years old, married, no kids. Why I mention these things is because they matter a lot. Now... I'm a senior manager in one of the top companies in China, working close to his boss, who is big, as his exclusive speechwriter. Ooh, that does sound like a important job. It yeah. seems like a good
1: job, but
0: my deep mind in in my deep mind, maybe we got some mind.
1: English problems going on here. Obviously, <laughs> which LOL mentions that you know this is uh, uh, not English as a first language. So, yeah. Ben's kind of reading through this and, and cleaning up the English a bit, which is fine. Yeah,
0: to the extent that I can. Sorry if I misinterpret it. But in my mind, I feel like I always want to be a lawyer. He's always wanted to be a lawyer. Great. As you know, tuition is a huge burden. I had this go-to-law school idea before, but I gave up many times because of the financial reasons. And my family, my husband, even my mother-in-law, they all want me to have a baby as soon as I can. Thank you, family. Now my life seems comfortable, but I just don't have a baby. But I really want to be a lawyer. Hmm. Nathan can laugh at me now. I can totally accept it. I know maybe my only problem is how much I want to be a lawyer. So it leads me to my real question today. If I go to law school, I want to go to a top 14 at least. If I can get some scholarship, that's even better. So my ideal LSAT score should be 170 or more, according to your podcast, right? What do you think?
1: Sure, Uh, I mean that would be great. Yeah, like 170 something is better than 160 something.
0: Yeah, for the top 14, you probably need a 170, no matter what your GPA
1: is. Well, Uh, I mean, not
0: necessarily. I've sent
1: students to Harvard with a 160 something, right? But it's it's just not. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's not the norm. For the elite schools, you want elite credentials. So, yeah, you want the best numbers you can possibly get. Says,
0: she continues, I think my biggest weakness is language. I'm good at writing, arguing, and logic. Maybe I want to give myself more confidence. Do you have any ideas about the possibilities that I can make the 170 score? Or how long do you think it will take my time to study? I have no idea.
1: No, uh, not not possible to answer that question. It's different for everybody. And to be perfectly clear, some people will never score 170-something, even if they studied for the rest of their life for the LSAT. Yeah, we
0: should clarify that because that is like wouldn't you say that's the most common question you get from new people who are looking to take a class Yeah Maybe just tell me what I need up. to do
1: to get to 175 I'll do anything I got I got unlimited work ethic and I'll just <laughs> tell me the tell me what to do to get to 175
0: <laughs> yeah that or one se- like 170 is this kind of magical number I think that people like to break and they're like well what's my likelihood and I always like to start that conversation by saying look, If you get a 170, that means that you're in the top 3% of all test takers. So right now, it doesn't matter if we don't know anything about you, nothing. You have a 3% chance of getting there. Most people would consider that not good. Not good odds, right? Now, of course, if you come in and you say, well, I just took a test and my diagnostic was a 165. Then I'm like, wow, you're really close to it.
1: Yeah, because it's like almost a Bayesian thing at that point, right? We, your, yeah. The prior presumption is, hey, three out of 100 people are going to score 170 or higher. So are you in that three or are you in that 97? If I don't know anything about you, I'm going to have to assume you're in that 97, probably not in the three. But yeah. I'm going to revise that assumption very quickly if you say, hey, I got a cold 165 on my first practice test. I got a 165. Then I'm almost like, well, most people can improve their LSAT score by 10 points. If I assume that you are most people and you started with a 165, but you're going to improve like most people will be able to improve, then I would almost guarantee that you can get into the 170s with a cold 165. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't think, do we get a... LOL does not provide us with a starting score. So we have no really idea. I mean, what we do have is an email with, you know, dozens of grammatical problems in English, which it's English as a second language. So, of course, it's got grammatical problems. Yeah. But the LSAT's in English. And so, you know, my presumption would be, man, trying to get to 170 something when you're having kind of English problems is that's potentially very difficult yeah you know i mean i don't doubt lol's work ethic i don't i don't doubt if you commit to this anything is possible Mm -hmm. but as far as how long it'll take i don't know depends how long you're willing to work at it i don't know
0: chances are that you won't get into 170 but if you have more information Maybe that will change. And I think those are some good numbers to think about. And as your score, as your cold diagnostic score goes down, your chances obviously go down. I mean, there have been people who have started with one – I remember a student who started with 148 and ended with a 179. And that's awesome. But it's sort of – well – not sort of it's extremely misleading. Well that's so.
1: one out of thousands of students that you've worked with, right? That's a yeah. that's a one out of 5000 increase. So I have mm-hmm. the same thing, you know, I have I have I can think of a student who improved by over 30 points. And but mm-hmm. it's like I remember that one because that one stood out among thousands of other students that you really that you improved that much. Yeah. So it's it's pretty rare to go from one you know <laughs> If you got a 135 and now you're asking me what my odds are of getting to 170, I'm like, well, prior presumption, it was three out of a hundred are going to make it to 170. But -hmm. now that you're reporting to me a cold 135, I have to adjust that downward because now you're talking about a one in a thousand amount of improvement. Yeah. So the odds go down from there. But if you're willing to spend years at it, you know, if you're willing to really just be diligent and continue studying, who knows? It just depends how much you want it, I guess.
0: Yeah. So, uh, LOL ends by saying, by the way, the Trump thing, I'm assuming his election, makes me upset. I used to think that the United States is the best country in the world for its diversity and freedom. Okay, Trump is not the best ambassador for those ideas, maybe, but... I don't know that the United States itself has changed much. Yeah. Well, what that's the,
1: that's the biggest problem with electing someone like Trump is that it's the, the optics of the whole thing are just terrible. Right. I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be a representative for the country and we've, we've basically elected an asshole who, <laughs> well, he is an asshole. There's no question. I mean, is. even yeah, people no, who vote I, for I'm
0: not, I'm not laughing because it's yeah. uh, unusually harsh. I think a lot worse
1: things could be said about yeah. him. He is extraordinary. I don't even know. It's just mind boggling. His supporters would would be like, "Yeah, that damn right. He's an asshole. That's right. He's a you know he's gonna get things back on track. He's he's our asshole." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Yeah, I know, but that's the face of the world now." And so now you've got you got all these people around the world looking at the United States like, "Geez, look at this dick,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: because he is, and he's not only an asshole, but he's also like not an intelligent or at least not well-spoken asshole. Yeah. So it's like, this is our president? And he, he like, can't speak in proper sentences? Can't? <laughs> it, it's just so embarrassing. So anyways, I apologize to all of our international, especially international listeners. I apologize for this buffoon. <laughs> but yeah, Ben, to get to back to Ben's point, I mean... On the day to day, you know, with the 300 million Americans, I don't know that Trump's presidency has changed anything about the way I interact with people on the street. Do you feel like there's less diversity now in America? No, I, I don't feel like there's less diversity. I don't feel like there's less freedom. I feel like there's an idiot in the White House who does a lot of posturing, but I don't know that certainly has not killed the American dream. <laughs> Just because. I guess,
0: there, I guess there could be an argument there's less freedom in the sense that people are legitimately afraid of what will happen, whether they can come into the country, whereas before they could have, now they can't. Yeah. And that sucks. Also, it is really unfortunate that he seems to have normalized yeah. shitty behavior. Yeah. Right? Like, it's okay to now. Just be racist or whatever I mean that's what he would never admit that of course, but his supporters get the the nod and the wink yeah. and they're like, yeah, I know what you're saying and that's that sucks. But I think the good thing is that uh, two things happen when someone has a certain behavior. I think I might have mentioned this before, but if someone has a sort of a reprehensible behavior or you find it reprehensible, you actually become less like that behavior so if someone is a jerk and you find that abhorrent, you become less of a jerk but if you at all have any sort of respect for that behavior then you become more of a jerk (laughs) so that could slightly explain the increased divide in america because everyone who looks at this and thinks it's ridiculous is probably becoming better (laughs) slightly
2: yeah
0: and like i'm not i i want to avoid anything that's remotely similar to that whereas everyone else his uh hopefully minority of supporters are probably becoming worse like oh this is fine i can be a jerk and stand up for my beliefs or whatever they think
1: yeah yeah anyways we should remind our especially international listeners that uh, the united states does not elect presidents for life and you're not able to be president for life in the united states we've had shitty presidents before even if trump wins re-election which is by no means certain he will still only be president for eight years and eight years is just not that long in the grand scheme of things (laughs) we've we've been around for a couple hundred years now and we've had several assholes as president Mm -hmm. so you know it's like sure it could be dark days now but it'll pass and we'll have somebody better in there before too long so Take a deep breath. It's funny because like twenty somethings can't comprehend that, right? They don't wrap their head around. <laughs> it's like it always just seems like whatever it is right now is just everything. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It's just I expect it's relativity. Things are going to swing back the other way.
0: Yeah, and I don't think he's going to get reelected. No one's going to make that mistake again. Well, They're going to vote in droves.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah.
0: So this last email is by please don't use my real name smiley (laughs)
1: okay
0: (laughs) please don't use my real name smiley says hey ben and nathan i'm an LSAT instructor and a new listener of your podcast with a 179 and a 378 from a top 10 liberal arts school i've never really seriously considered law school as my nightmare is finding myself miserable and in serious debt one year into law school yep okay
1: very possible
0: I don't particularly want to be a lawyer, but I could see the degree helping me in a related profession, such as various policy jobs, a sports agent, or possibly running for office. Okay, I don't think I'd consider any school that's not quite well-respected, but I'm not willing to take on any debt in case I decide it's not for me after a year. Good. Are there any top-tier schools for which I'd have any chance of receiving a full-merit scholarship? From my limited research, it didn't seem like this was a viable plan, but I thought you might have some insight. Full merit scholarship with a 179 and a 378 at a top tier program—that's not a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, he might just be saying, "Hey, Harvard doesn't really give merit-based merit-based aid." I mean, that's true, but mm-hmm. and yeah, maybe Harvard, Stanford, Yale—maybe maybe not. Yeah, doesn't georgetown give full rides i'm
0: pretty sure they do and i thought i was just talking to someone
1: at columbia i know columbia does yeah so there's got to be some good schools that do at least i know ucla does you know he uses this top tier language which we don't know it's different people draw the tiers in different ways Mm-hmm. but I would just say apply broadly if you really want to go to, you know, if you're thinking this is a thing you want to check out and you've got your 179 and your 3.78, so it's going to be, you know, you're going to get great offers. If you apply broadly and if you negotiate those offers, I'd be surprised if you don't end up getting serious help. Well, yeah, what am I talking about? I, I've had people go to Berkeley on a full ride. Yeah. So that's top 14. I, I don't know how top tier you need to be here, but... Boy, I hope Berkeley's a good enough law school for you. I don't. I don't know. I mean,
0: oh, especially if he's just planning to to use it as a degree to help in a related profession. Well, in a related profession, they're not mm-hmm. going to care about what the exact law school ranking is. They're just going to care about whether they've heard this heard of the school or not. Have they heard of Berkeley?
1: Yes, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm glad that. Please don't use my real name. Smiley face is looking at not going into debt here because all of this talk about, I don't particularly want to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like then absolutely do not borrow money. Yeah. I could see the degree helping me in a related profession. Hmm. You could see it helping you in a related profession. Okay, cool. But then don't pay for it though. Like get it for free and then hopefully it will help you in a related profession. You know, And then it's all over the map here with various policy jobs, a sports agent or possibly running for office. Okay. I mean, sure. Theoretically, all those things are possible with a JD, but just don't go into debt for a JD in order to pursue these, you know, all these random different things. It's great that you've got all these different things on your radar and you should definitely check them out, but you should not go $200,000 in debt in order to Check check these out. Yeah. And yeah, we have seen people with full rides in the top 14. So I would say with your credentials, I mean, if anybody's gonna get that offer, it's a 179 and a 3.78 from a top 10 liberal arts school. Yep. So I would say absolutely yes. Just make sure you apply to 15, 20 schools, you know, spread it widely so that you can get yourself these good offers. And when the offers come in, remember that you can uh, negotiate those offers and get even better deals. Yeah, and I think what's
0: implied there with your suggestion of of 15, 20 schools is that he might be applying to schools that he doesn't want to go to because they're not in his, quote, top tier. But that's fine because you get a full ride to one of those schools and maybe you can use that to edge out a full ride at a school that you do want to go to.
1: Yeah, if UCLA is on your list, which, you know, I understand it's outside the top 14, so maybe you would never deign to go to a school as shitty as UCLA, which by the way... Our poor listeners, they're like, that's not what I meant at all. (laughs) Well, but that is what some people say, though, you know, so I'm just, I know that's how people are. That is how people are, and it's pretty disgusting, but...
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
1: You know... Even if, so if UCLA, let's say UCLA is on your list, by the way, it's the best law school within hundreds of miles and people absolutely do go from UCLA into, you know, big law jobs and all that stuff. So yes, UCLA is a fine law school. If UCLA is on your list, then I absolutely think you should also apply to USC and UC Irvine so that you can get yourself into better negotiating position with UCLA So yeah, so even if you have no intention of going to UC Irvine, I would throw in that application anyway, get a good offer from Irvine and use that offer to, uh, to, to negotiate with UCLA. Yep. Okay. Uh, so thanks. Please don't use my real name. I wonder who he teaches for. Yeah, I did want to know that. All right. Boy, we made it through the emails. Oh, I should say, by the
0: way, too, please don't use my real name, Smiley. No matter where you're teaching, you do need to put the Thinking Else That on your whiteboard.
1: Yeah, Thinking Else That podcast. Just put it up there on the first night of class and maybe every night of class at the beginning and talk about yeah. what we talked about on the recent episodes of the show.
0: Yeah, maybe the first half of the class.
1: You could just talk. That. Well, you could pl- bring speakers in and play it. Sure. Yeah. That's a good idea. That is a great idea. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks. Please don't use my real name, Smiley.
0: So we're going to jump into the June 2007 LSAT, which you can just Google and download. Uh, we also include it in the show notes. We are in section 3, question
1: 23. And uh, do you want to read this? Sure. Okay. The argument says, Political candidates' speeches are loaded with promises and with expressions of good intention. But one must not forget that the politicians' purpose in giving these speeches is to get themselves elected. Uh, okay.
2: Yeah, makes sense.
1: surprising there. Politicians do make promises. People do express good intention. Well, except for Trump, who just basically ran on... Oh, no, well, he did say... Make America great again. So I guess that's a, an expression of good, atten- good intention.
0: <laughs> the, the one thing
1: it also contains America sucks in that message, right? It's like, because America is not yeah. great now. Yep. Just F you anyway. But one must not forget that their purpose is to get themselves elected. Yeah, no shit. Obviously that's what they're trying to do is get themselves elected. Okay. Yep. Clearly then these speeches are selfishly motivated and the promises made in them are unreliable. Um, uh, awful. Well, probably true in real life, but yeah. a classic, uh, maybe top 10 LSAT flaw. Yeah. Which is, I would say that this is the flaw of ignoring the fact that you can be biased and also correct at the same time. Yep. So just because you're selfishly motivated doesn't mean that you can't also be telling the truth. And if you're making all these promises and expressing all this good intention, yeah, of course you're motivated by trying to get elected, but maybe you have every intention of fulfilling your promises and all this good.
0: Yeah. You plan to do it because you sincerely want to and maybe that's why you want to get elected there's nothing impossible about that so when they say clearly then in other words it must be the case that these speeches are selfishly motivated and the promises made them in them are unreliable it's just doesn't it's not something that has to be true it certainly could be true like you said it's probably even true most of the time in real life (laughs) in real life, but the mere fact that it doesn't have to be true, even in real life, makes this conclusion make me want to vomit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, so just because you're biased doesn't mean you're wrong. Just because you have some secondary or even a primary motivation doesn't mean that you can't also fulfill other goals.
0: The other thing here, too, is maybe you want to fulfill them so you can get reelected. Even if you're a total jerk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to get elected so that I can do all these good things I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't make America great again unless you elect me. Yeah. So of course I'm trying to get elected. Of course I want to be the president. Of course I want to blow up my own ego and, you know, get all this power and whatever, but that doesn't mean I don't want to make America great again. I mean, maybe I do want to make America great again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So which one of the following most accurately describes a flaw in the argument above? It's a flaw question. It's a descriptive question type. Uh, ben, you taught me that the way to do this question is to look for something. First, did the argument do it? And second, it's a problem that the argument did it. Yeah. And and we've already got a really good prediction here. We're looking for um, assumes that you can't be telling the truth just because you are biased or just because you've got some other motivation. Yeah. Hey, the argument presumes without providing justification that if a person's promise is not selfishly motivated, then that promise is reliable. False contrapositive or
0: flipped. I don't know. What do you call that in class?
1: Yeah. Like that's a fucked up contrapositive is what that is. I mean it's the LSAT's most common flaw. If you picked that, you're yeah. confusing sufficient and necessary. Yep. So the answer is not A. B Just
0: to clarify, the person was assuming was assuming that if something is selfishly motivated, then the promises that that person makes will be unreliable.
1: Will be not reliable. But this is just the negation of that. Yep, which is not what we were looking for. B, the argument presumes without providing justification that promises made for selfish reasons are never kept. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. I'd, I'd, I'd keep it, I suppose. It's a little
0: strong. Yeah. But I'd keep it. Yeah, yeah I agree. The word I don't like is never. Is that what you're focusing yes. on? Yes,
1: I don't like the word never.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. when it says presumes without providing justification, that means that the argument is necessarily assuming this. And it does seem to be assuming this, but... Is it assuming that for all cases? I don't know. Yeah, I'd keep it open. Yeah. I think we're in the same boat. Okay. Okay.
1: C, the argument confuses an effect with a cause. No, we know what that flaw looks like, and that was not the flaw here. To make C the answer, it would have to be like, I went to the hospital, and I noticed there were a whole bunch of sick people there. Therefore, the hospital makes people sick. Yeah, That's confusing cause for effect because probably no, they were sick. That's why they're at the hospital, not (laughs) the hospital is making them sick. Okay, so it's not C. D, the argument overlooks the fact that a promise need not be unreliable just because the person who made it had an ulterior motive for doing so. Hmm. That sounds... got some double negatives in there. So
0: I've feel like i had to read that
1: again me too
0: the argument overlooks the fact that a promise need not need not just means does not necessarily that a promise does not necessarily need to be unreliable just because the person who made it had an ulterior motive for doing so i think when i rephrase that need not to not necessarily it makes a lot more sense and this seems to be a better fit
1: I, yeah, I mean, if you narrowed it down, we we kept B open. Yeah. But D connects a little more closely with the argument, right? It's it. I like that it's talking about unreliable promises. Yep. And when I look back at B, I see oh, those are never kept. Mhm. Which mm-hmm. is a slight difference between unreliable and never kept. Unreliable sure. being well, oh, not sure if we can trust him, but you know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Yeah, where never kept is like oh, we hundred percent know that that's not going to happen.
0: And so, if it did randomly, that would be a problem.
1: So it seems as if B is me is uh, misstating the argument. Then, if you compare it to D, yeah, I like D's statement. I like D. D seems like a closer fit.
0: Yeah. So at this point, I I would have mentally checked off B, and I would keep D open. It doesn't mean I've chosen it, but. Be like, yeah, it's better than B, so.
1: Yeah, so B's out, so we're on D, and then we're going to read E. The argument overlooks the fact that a candidate who makes promises for selfish reasons may nonetheless be worthy of the (laughs) office for which he or she is running. Sorry, I
0: just started laughing as soon as I saw the word worthy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not about that. It's about whether these campaign promises are reliable or not.
0: This, actually, I think this answer choice is... Interesting. The test writers are targeting people who aren't reading the passage carefully enough. Yeah. They're just reading it and then sort of jumping to their own conclusion, probably because they're going fast. And they think this is about whether or not the person should be or shouldn't be elected, as opposed to just the more specific point, will their promises be reliable or not?
1: right. Yeah, E's kind of beside the point. D was really a good connection with our objection. D does seem to be fairly describing the flaw that, hey, wait a minute. you know My objection here was, hey, wait a minute. Just because they're selfishly motivated doesn't mean they're, you can't rely on them. <coughs> and I think that's what D is saying. So number 23, we got to pick D. B was a uh, pretty nice trap there. If you don't read all five answers, I could absolutely see you picking B and moving on. I'm thinking about the student in the last five minutes who decides to try to do five questions or to try to do four Mm. questions in five minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm smart though. I can just blaze through these and figure them out. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to crank it through. And then you spend a minute on number 23, but you needed to spend a minute and a half on number 23 because you spend a minute just enough to find the second best answer. Yeah. B and you don't take the time to parse out D or don't take the time to even read D. And uh, they are going to trap you if you don't read all five answers.
0: Yeah, and if the need not phrasing messed you up here, I think that was what the test writers were trying to do, is trying to hide the correct answer in a jarble of words. Yeah. Um, just remember to replace need not with not necessarily.
1: Yeah. Basically, D is, hey, the argument has assumed. <laughs> if you could replace overlooks the fact that a promise need not be. Mm -hmm. you could replace all that with assumes that it is right so basically d's saying the argument assumes that a promise is unreliable just because the person who made it had an ulterior motive yeah that's exactly what it did yeah so
0: by overlooking the fact by not considering that it doesn't need to be (laughs) there
1: that's like a triple negative yeah. Overlooked. No, these the guys, these fact guys are pretty good. Need I don't not know how they come up with this. Unreliable. Stuff. Yeah. Triple triple negative, I guess. Okay, cool. So 23D. Anything else, Ben, before we wrap up today?
0: No. Uh, just email us your questions at help at thinkinglsat.com. You can also post questions on thinkinglsat.com. Uh, that's where we post the show notes as well as the episodes. And people will leave comments there all the time. What else can you do? You can tweet us at thinking else at uh, Nathan at Fox. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, at NFox on Twitter. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: And you can tweet me at Strategy Prep, although I'm pretty uh, dead on Twitter. I've only tweeted like three things in the last year. And just recently, I tweeted a picture of an ad driving around DC that said, Why take another test? And it was referring to the GRE. Because the GRE can open up so many more doors. <laughs> I don't know if that was a subtle knock at the LSAT or just a general argument that they've been making for a long time.
1: Who I don't knows? think it's subtle, dude. I think the the testing wars have officially begun.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they're, they're going to war with the LSAC and they're also going to war with the GMAC, right? Because there are business oh, yeah, schools the, now the that... Mm -hmm. There are business schools that accept the GRE and there are LSAT uh, law schools now that accept the GRE. So the GRE is like officially declaring war on all fronts against the other uh, major tests. Huh? Seems like to me.
0: Yeah. Well, and LSAC is slowly responding with a digital LSAT.lsac.org.
1: Yeah. You know, the one thing that the LSAC has going for them in this uh, battle against the GRE is that the GRE does have math on it. And every time I get worried that like the LSAT is gonna go away and I'm gonna lose my awesome job, mm-hmm. then I remind myself that the GRE has math on it and then I feel better. Cause I know that, you know, if I look around my class, like I even mentioned it in my class, I talk about the, you know, of course, cause people wanna know about this new news with Harvard accepting the GRE. And now Yale accepting the GRE and I talk about it in my class and I just, the second I mentioned to them that there's a quantitative component of the GRE, I can just see like three quarters of the class is like, nope, not doing that. Definitely not doing that. So yeah, that's interesting.
0: You know, I just read something the other day that said that the GRE, the highest score you can get on the quant section is a, well, it's a perfect score. But it will put you in the 97th percentile because 3% of test takers get a perfect score in the quant. Hmm. And so there's not a good way of distinguishing top-tier candidates like there is with the LSAT. You know, there's such a spread from 170 to 180 that you can get a 97th percentile, 98th percentile, 99th percentile, 99.2 percentile. Well, why don't
1: they make the math harder?
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. I, I don't know. Maybe because they're trying to accommodate so many people. But um, it still doesn't seem like that hard to make it a little bit harder, at least the last few questions for those people who are so good at the math. But it's it's weird because the schools that are accepting the GRE, Harvard and now Yale, uh, at least temporarily, are the ones that would benefit most from that stratification. Yeah. So anyways i don't know what that means
1: but interesting well we will continue to report back on whether other schools follow suit i haven't heard any new ones in the last week have you no okay so it could be that the other schools are going to wait out uh harvard and yale and see how it goes for them before they also start accepting the gre or yeah there could be an avalanche of them in the next month uh, who knows who knows yeah
0: awesome well, thanks everyone yeah we'll see you next week
1: Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, everybody else. Talk to you soon.